Greetings, friends. Future Andrew here, dropping into these past episodes to tell you thanks. Thanks for checking out RTAF. If you're valuing the show as a wellspring of inspiration and artistic fuel and would like to help keep the show going, you can find out more about how to do that at patreon.com slash podcast. Every little bit adds up and keeps me inspired to bring you quality content on a consistent basis. Thanks for listening, and stay creative. Welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. (laughs) Can't forget that it's a podcast. All right, let's, let's go to the top again. Welcome to another episode of RTAF Podcast. Thank you for being here. So today we have the executive director of Dance Safe, Mitchell Gomez, with us. This is a heavy download of relevant information having right. to do with not just psychedelic drug use and you know harm reduction at festivals and concerts. It goes deeper into um, just questioning the whole idea of prohibition of any drug and how we orient socially and legally to drugs in our culture and how we can transform that to eliminate harm in mass he's not scared to say he wants to change the world yeah it's uh it was very inspiring talk for anyone who's ever used a schedule one substance which is probably over 50 percent of the general population and i imagine our listenership is a higher number than that probably about 98 percent. yeah <laughs> um yeah we also get into the web and tangled knot of prohibition mm-hmm. and how it's it's being propped up by a lot of things like the prison industry we get a little bit into pharmaceutical industries but also why these drugs were made illegal in the first place mostly to target uh, groups of individuals mm-hmm. around the anti-war movement and uh, it, it was unfortunately also racially based and probably continues to be, at least in some capacity to this day. So it's a really broad podcast with a lot of information. Mitchell speaks super fluently and quickly. So put your listening cap on for this one because... Get a notebook out. Yeah, you're going to want to keep up. And, uh, oh, there's also some cool Salvia stories in this one. So, (laughs) you know, there's a little bit of everything. Yeah, if you like the color yellow, maybe you'd like to turn into that color for a little bit. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I think you guys are going to love this one. Yeah. Super great information, and Mitchell's really holding it down and leading the way. Get ready, guys, because here we go. Okay. Okay. Let's. Ready? Should we do a countdown? I guess we're going to keep doing countdowns. We're going to do ready, set, go. Okay. Ready, Ready, set, set. go. Yeah. Peace, brother. Hi 
heard that suicide rates go up around that time because we lose like an hour of sure. sleep. Yeah. And people are already so sleep deprived that it's like. So there's a story that's almost certainly apocryphal. Like it's almost certainly not true. But uh-huh. uh, the story is that somebody was trying to explain daily savings times to a Lakota elder. Uh-huh. Uh, and like when they finally got through to him, he said, uh, only a white man could think he could take a blanket, <laughs> cut a foot off the bottom, sew it to the top and have a longer blanket. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a great analogy. Yeah. But God knows if it's a true story or not. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, like we did it because for farmers. Farmers, yeah. It's. But, I mean, we should have abolished it 40 years ago. Like, is yeah. anybody talking about Not that? all countries Summer breaks, too. Yeah. yeah. Like for like young school kids. Yeah. Like that's a farming. So you could work on the farm. So you could work on the farm. Like it was mm. harvest season. <laughs> yeah. Now it's just time to eat candy and play video games. Right. right. <laughs> Maybe Which is why our beach. educational system is like, you know, so far behind everyone else. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks yeah. for coming the podcast. On, Appreciate yeah. you. So, uh, I don't know. What's going on with dance safe these days? Uh, yeah, a lot. A lot's going on. Um, so, should we start? Does that, are we assuming everyone knows what dance safe is? Let's, like maybe, this, let's, let's explain. Let's yeah. start with the history and how it all came about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, in the late 90s, uh, the founder of dance safe, Emmanuel Sferios, uh, he realized that he was going to parties. He had done MDMA when it was legal. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, mm-hmm. what he took, what he took, he knew was, was MDMA. Uh, then he sort of wasn't part of the scene for a long time and sort of ended up back in the scene in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And he saw a lot of people consuming substances and behaving in ways that he knew mm-hmm. that the, what they were taking was not MDMA. Right. He mm-hmm. just knew that this was not something else was going on. Uh, so he started doing some research, uh, and realized that the government in, in the government in Belgium had been doing on-site drug checking services. So the government was actually providing this as a service. They'd set up at parties. You could bring your pills. They would chemically analyze them. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, his plan was actually not to start a nonprofit. It was not to start this massive organization. His plan was to set up at events, get arrested doing drug checking, and then oh. have this fight in the courts. Right. Oh. So this is how needle exchanges became legal. Right. People would give out needles. Uh, they would get arrested for distributing paraphernalia. Right. Uh, juries would refuse to convict them, mm. <laughs> uh, and then they'd get out and they'd go do it again. And eventually, the police got sick of arresting them. And then yeah. that's how the sort of uh, you know, to overuse the pun, that's how the needle moved on the conversation, right? <laughs> it was by getting arrested. And so that was sort of the idea was that he would have this fight in the courts, you know, they would go out and they would, they would do this thing. Uh, much to his surprise, uh, he could not get anyone to arrest him doing drug checking. Uh, and that's actually been my experience as well. I've actually pushed the issue on a couple of occasions where law enforcement was not happy about us being on site. I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, this is a perfect opportunity to like have this fight yeah. in the court system. Uh-huh. Uh, in most places, district attorneys are elected positions and going into an election saying, here's a group of people who are trying to end drug deaths. So I arrested them, yeah. particularly in the middle of like a fentanyl crisis is like, exactly. not a, it's not a winnable position. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so DanceAfe really has grown into this massive uh, health education and harm reduction nonprofit that provides all sorts of services. So it's grown way, way, way beyond drug checking. Uh, you know, we give out millions of condoms a year, millions of pairs of earplugs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, drug information that is, you know, developed from and by and for drug users. So it's, you know, non-biased, really sort of health education oriented uh, drug information. 
uh, and also still provides on-site drug checking services. Uh, particularly, you know, it's really become more of an issue with the development. Both of the dark web has really sort of changed the way that drug distribution works in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also now with the fentanyl crisis where fentanyl is showing up uh, literally everywhere, uh, it's really become much more of an issue about you really you really just have to chemically analyze your substances yourself. You can no longer trust anything in the market. If it came through a black market, you can't trust it sort of period. That's sort yeah. of the end of that sentence. Uh, and so, yeah, that's where we're at now is that we are, uh, by far the largest nonprofit working in this space. Mm-hmm. Uh, we set up at hundreds of events, everything from literally house parties. Like we have chapters that will literally set up at like small house parties. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. all the way through, uh, you know, things like movement in Detroit, which I think last year was 150 or 160,000 people. Yeah, that's a one. It's a huge one. And so we set up at a, a, a range of events literally that spans the entire gamut of like what events are, mm-hmm. uh, in this country. Yeah. And and growing all the time. I mean, we've we've uh, have not had a year yet that was like smaller than our previous year, as long as I've been involved, which is uh, going on like six or seven years now. I forget, it. I forget nice. how long it's been now. So, huh. and it seems like the current boogeyman today in this world is fentanyl. Yeah, and is that like what is that appearing in? Yeah, uh, we've had confirmed cases of fentanyl, obviously in, in all sorts of opiates. Mm-hmm. So it shows up in street heroin. It also shows up in fake opioid pressed pills. So there'll be like fake oxycotton, huh. uh, also fake benzos. So we've seen fentanyl in things that were being sold as Xanax on the black market. Um, that those have resulted in in multiple deaths. There's actually quite a few confirmed deaths, including one that just happened in Boulder. Um, really? A young college student uh, purchased what she thought was Xanax, uh, took it, and died from a fatal uh, opioid reaction. So they haven't actually. I don't think the toxicology business has been released yet, so we don't know that it was fentanyl. But like it, the situation yeah. lends itself to point. under. Yeah, yeah, all signs point to this being a fentanyl yeah. uh, overdose. Mm-hmm. Uh, it shows up in methamphetamine, cocaine. Uh, there was a sample in Denver of somebody who purchased what they believed was MDA. Uh, so they thought it was uh, SAS. And yikes. It was, and they, they didn't, I mean, they like fell out on the dance floor, never recovered. Whoa. Like died in the hospital about a day later. Holy shit. Um, and also in things that are being sold as MDMA, we've seen fentanyl. Uh, and Canada has had a few instances of not fentanyl, but car fentanyl, which is an even more potent uh, fentanyl analog being sold on blotter paper. Um, although that was almost certainly not being represented as LSD. It's actually far more expensive than LSD. Okay. It's just huh. that anything that's active in microgram ranges, there's only a few ways to distribute it. Right. That's even remotely safe. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, pressing it into pills is like not really an option, even right. though microdots was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're dealing with LSD, a drug that has no known fatal dose, uh, you can be a little sloppier. Blotter is actually a, a probably the sort of safest way to distribute microgram active opioids. Mm-hmm. So okay. it makes sense that they would do that. Right. Um, they wouldn't be selling it as acid. The concern is if somebody drops a 10 strip right. of this carfentanil yeah. blotter and somebody else finds it, yeah. when you find blotter art, like, you know, yeah. it, you assume, right? I mean, there's a You're sort of assumption like, oh, like, oh this, this must, must be acid. L. Like, it yeah. must be acid, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's just like not a safe assumption anymore like there are microgram active opiates they are being put on blotter paper we have absolutely laboratory confirmed examples of microgram active opiates on blotter paper jeez um and so really it's anything i mean it's really anything being distributed through black markets Mm -hmm. uh this is a real risk uh i don't think 
for most of these drugs, I think the risk is statistically probably pretty small, right? We would know if 5% of the MDMA in this country was adulterated with fentanyl because there would be a massive number of deaths every right, festival, right? Mm-hmm. Right, like just huge, huge, huge numbers. So we know that it's a, a small percentage of the drugs. Yeah. Uh, I hate the Russian roulette metaphor. It's like the most overused metaphor in the drug war. Mm-hmm. Uh, fentanyl has actually sort of made it true. So it's taken this thing that used to be a nonsense metaphor uh-huh. uh, and it's actually made it an accurate metaphor where like you just don't know. Yeah. Uh, and because, you know, somewhere between maybe one and three milligrams of fentanyl is enough to kill a non-opiate user, uh, you know, if there's literally one one thousandth of a gram bag of cocaine is fentanyl, you can have a friend, a group of friends sitting in a circle doing cocaine out of the same bag. Mm-hmm. And whoever happens to get that milligram of fentanyl might die. Yeah. Uh, and so it really has made that metaphor accurate, which is really aggravating to me as somebody who like <laughs> hates bad metaphors. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, you know, the, the, you know, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. I mean, that, that metaphor was complete nonsense, right? I mean, right. that's literally not what drugs do to your brain. <laughs> and cooked eggs are better than <laughs> and raw cooked eggs. eggs are better than raw eggs. Right. So like, yeah, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's like, that's just like, you know, we, we know, you know, neurologically, we know what most drugs do at this point, at least in a rudimentary way. Right. And literally none of them scramble your receptors, right? Like that's not what any right. existing drug does. If anything, they uh, help like balance it out. Or in a, yeah. Right. In a lot of cases, it actually increases connectivity. Yeah. Uh, and so like, yeah, I don't like bad metaphors, but this one has become true. Uh, and so, yeah, at this point, it's just like, oh, and also ketamine. So we've also had it show up in, in things that were being represented as ketamine. So really the gamut. I mean, really the gamut of, of just everything. Just everything. Like if you don't get a drug through something that underwent regulation, literally meaning your doctor. Yeah. Right. You ha- you have to test it now. This, you absolutely yeah. have to do that or mm-hmm. you just don't know. Right. So this is a, a good segue, I think, to talk about prohibition and ending prohibition. And yeah. really like... What you guys do, um, from from what I understand, is you're raising the level of of these parties, um, so that like even though these drugs are prohibited and they're black market, and you don't know what you're getting necessarily all the time, you do have a way to help people. But yeah. but like maybe talk about um, prohibition, ending prohibition, and like safe ways to get yeah drugs. i mean i often i often joke that you know when it comes to substance use mm-hmm. like maybe five percent of what dansafe does is drug prohibition and 95 mm-hmm. percent is or is is sorry maybe five percent is drug harm reduction mm-hmm. and like 95 percent is drug prohibition harm reduction right right so even if mdma comes through a legal regulated source you buy it at the mdma store <laughs> uh if you take it in a super hot environment at a relatively high dose dance really hard and don't drink enough water that MDMA could still kill you, right? Right. There are still intrinsic risks to most of these drugs. Right. You know, it doesn't matter if your ketamine is legal, if you mix it with alcohol, do a lot of it when you're alone and you sort of land in the wrong position, like it can kill you. It, Mm. that, that is intrinsic to the molecule. Mm -hmm. So there's things you have to know about any drug you take, even if those drugs are legal. Fentanyl showing up in your drug supply is a thing that only happens when drugs are illegal. Right. This is a thing that is intrinsic to prohibition. Uh, you know, in the 1930s, we don't actually know how many people, but we know there were certainly thousands or tens of thousands of Americans who were killed or hospitalized from black market alcohol. Mm-hmm. Right. So they would they would intentionally poison industrial methanol to make sure that it couldn't be diverted into black markets. It would get diverted anyway, mm-hmm. and then people would drink it and die. Wow. Uh, and that is a thing that happened in this country, is the government intentionally poisoning black market drug supplies. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and this is an exact parallel. I mean, this the, the fentanyl thing is a is a perfect parallel to this situation. It's not just an analogy. It's actually a it's actually the same situation. Right. Uh, and the reality is, until we end prohibition, uh, harm reduction is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really only mitigates these risks. It doesn't eliminate these risks. Right. Uh, and even with the best testing technology, figuring out, uh, you know quantitative data figuring out oh there's you know 105 milligrams of mdma in this pill and there's nothing else even if i had a million dollar lab this is a very expensive difficult time-consuming procedure right Mm -hmm. uh and so we're never going to be able to get to that point through harm reduction where you can like have a sample in your pocket that you know is 120 milligrams of pure mdma yeah that requires legalization to get to that point uh and when we live in a world where almost every drug death is because the drugs are illegal, mm-hmm. not because the drugs are intrinsically dangerous. Right. I think we really need to have a conversation as a society about like, what are we doing? <laughs> the, yeah. the government is the one actively murdering American citizens mm-hmm. through this. Like it's, it's not an accident, right? This is, this is, prohibition is an explicitly harm maximization policy. Mm-hmm. The drugs are supposed to be more dangerous so that nobody will consider doing them. Right. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's a really horrifying place that we've reached where, you know, drug deaths in this country are now the leading cause of death for people under the age of 40 in every state. So all 50 states, if you're under the age of 40, leading cause of death for your peer group is drugs. Wow. Uh, you know, 70 something thousand people last year, 72 to 75, depending on whose numbers you looked at died from drug incidents. About half of those were fentanyl. Uh, that is more people than died from HIV at the highest year of the AIDS crisis was like 60 something thousand, 64, 60, Jeez. 68. It's more people than die from gun deaths. It's more people than die from car accidents. It is a massive public health crisis that's completely being ignored. It mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Like completely. I, you don't hear about it like in the news. No. Like, it's I mean, not on the debates. Right. You know, you, like, you, you look at, you look at HIV at its height, mm-hmm. right? M- million people marching on Washington, the AIDS quilt rolled out in front of the white house. And that was less people than are dying now from mm-hmm. drugs. I wonder why it's so ignored. You know, I think the answer is, is both really upsetting, but also really easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, this country was founded in large part by actual Puritans, yeah. right? That is the sort of intellectual and, and actual history mm-hmm. of the United States is a Puritan history. And so I think when people are dying from something that is arguably, they made the decision, right? They in, decided in pure, to, to do this. Yeah. Then um, pe- the, the attitude from people is, well, mm. you knew it was dangerous mm-hmm. and you decided to do it and you died. So it's your fault. Yeah but these risks aren't intrinsic to the drugs, right? These risks are being created by the black market. Mm -hmm. And so using prohibition or using the, the harms of prohibition as a reason to support prohibition is, is insane, (laughs) right? I mean, it's literally insane to do this, but that's where we're at in terms of the debate in this country. Yeah. It's like a lose lose because there's people that are, they're wanting to have these experiences, right. To kind of expand their boundaries of identification with self and community and these people could, if they could take these drugs safely, 
would actually become better members of a society. Right. So there's this idea of psychedelics as pro-social drugs, Mm -hmm. right? So there's anti-social behavior and there's this idea of psychedelics as Mm pro-social substances. You know, they create feelings of connectivity with community, with nature, uh, lots of peer reviewed data to back this. It's not just like hippies sitting on mountaintops eating mushrooms anymore. We (laughs) actually have lots of published data now to back these things that we've been saying for several decades now, or in many cases, uh, you know, literally millennia, right? I mean, within Mm -hmm. traditional, uh, psychoactive using communities that has sort of been the claim from the very, very beginning. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I personally believe that, uh, not just psychedelics. I think all drugs have their sort of place within society. Mm -hmm. Uh, but psychedelics in particular, I think are, it is worth talking about the fact that like, no, there are real tangible peer review, uh, you know, peer review backed benefits Mm -hmm. to people using these things. Yeah. Um, I'm also fundamentally a cognitive libertarian. I fundamentally believe that human beings own their minds. Yeah, and they're with you. Mm-hmm. Right, that's it. We, either we own our bodies and minds or we're slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really, really believe that what we need in this country is either widespread recognition, a constitutional amendment, or both that codifies bodily autonomy as a civil right. Right. So this idea that you own your body. Um, And the nice thing about that, about a bodily autonomy constitutional amendment is that we can pull in the people who are interested in reproductive health. Right. Because that would forever codify abortion as a as a right. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can also pull in the transhumanist people. You know, I hear all these, you know, I hang out with a lot of like big West Coast tech guys. Yeah. And they're all so excited about the singularity and upgrading their brains. (laughs) Uh, And do you guys know who T. Ferry is? She's an author. She writes for Eerowood. I've I've heard of her. Yeah. She's been on Michael's podcast. So one of my favorite things I've ever heard her say is you guys think they're going to let you upgrade your prefrontal cortex. Like they don't even let you get high. (laughs) Right. Like you think they're going to let you upgrade your brain. Like you can't even smoke a plant. They're not going to let you upgrade your brains. You know, and so if we don't establish... Uh, bodily autonomy, cognitive liberty, however you want to phrase it, if we don't establish that as a civil right before these technologies exist, those technologies are going to be reserved for the military, Mm -hmm. right? And the super elite who laws just like don't generally apply to. Yeah, exactly. And I definitely don't want to live in a planet where only the military and the 1% are upgrading their brains. (laughs) That's a very bad situation and an eternal one. I would rather have like the AI robots fully (laughs) autonomous. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Right, and like either we merge with AI or we go extinct. I don't really see a third option. We, we simply can't compete with with AI, right? right? Anyone who right. thinks that literally anyone who thinks that their job can't be taken by AI or robots on a long enough time scale is mistaken. Totally. For some people, the time scale is quite long. I right. undeniably there are definitely things out there that are going to be human centered for a very long time. Anything on a long enough time scale, it's the machines coming. can do better. We're just not that good yeah. at most things. But like right? like They're retail and driving and being an insurance broker those are all gone (laughs) those careers are dead yeah those are those are those are they're they're zombies right and they're walking dead literally (laughs) um and and even art uh yeah i think art is a very a very ai-able thing i don't know if you've ever seen the dinosaur flower mashup that was done by an ai so somebody trained a neural net to mix classical paintings of dinosaurs and flowers (laughs) uh and the outcomes after the ai was like properly trained are gorgeous it's like really gorgeous original artificial intelligence art (laughs) nice you know that was just like yeah there was a human at some point in the process Mm -hmm. um but the outcome was was ai driven but we're never going to be able to do all this stuff if we don't establish right away that like no we are the sole sovereigns of our minds and bodies right uh 
And so I really like this sort of big tent arguments because it's hard to get people excited about legalizing all drugs because right. this does imply, right? I'm not just saying psychedelics. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it's actually really important that we stress that I'm not just saying psychedelics because there is this whole movement now of decriminalized nature. Mm -hmm. uh, and I like those movements. I think it politically, it is very expedient to frame things that way. Mm -hmm. The reality is cocaine is far more natural than LSD. Yep. Right, like undeniably, yeah. Yeah. it is an it is an alkaloid that exists in the state we consume it in the plant. Mm -hmm. It is a natural alkaloid in the coca plant. It's an, it is nature, right. right? Heroin is far more natural than LSD too, right? It's mm -hmm. not that far from right. opium base to heroin. As from ergot to LSD is is a lot of work, right? Yeah. That's why so few LSD chemists have ever gotten busted. Mm -hmm. Is that it's just really freaking hard to go from ergot to LSD. Uh, I mean, cyanide, right? Perfectly natural. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> five milligrams per liter of blood and you're a corpse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this idea that, oh, it's, if it's natural, it's okay. But if it's artificial, we should, we should fear it. Uh, I think is a, a, a false dichotomy that's quite dangerous. Yeah. It's uh, a strange argument. But it's politically expedient. It, it's, mm. it's moving the ball, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the idea that you would pass. Uh, a voter initiative in a city like Denver to decriminalize heroin mm -hmm. is a, is a hard, is a hard pitch. It's a hard yeah. pitch. Yeah. Like it's I don't see that sell. getting more than 50% of the vote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just don't. Yeah. Uh, and yet psilocybin moved yeah, very, mushrooms. very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ground of the ground. We, we squeaked through on that. psilocybin. we squeaked too. through. I definitely, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite close with Kevin who was overseeing that campaign and the night of the campaign, I messaged him and I was like, this is amazing how close you guys got. And he was like, they're not done counting votes. Do not count me out yet. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, Oh, it, like it sucks, right? It yeah. sucks that he's so emotionally invested in this. Uh-huh. What I didn't consider is that all of the people who showed up to vote in the last hour voted yes, right? All the people yeah. who were like, oh, we got to go <laughs> vote, <Yeah>. Got to <laughs> vote. <laughs> it's like, those people all apparently voted yes. I don't know what the correlation is. Can't imagine. Uh, they're com they're coming that's down. That's literally what happened is the last <laughs> yeah. minute votes were like way more yes votes than no votes. And we got They were coming we out through. of their, if, their yeah. you know, dose for the day. Right, coming oh, out of their oh, dose for the day. Oh, got to go vote. Got to go vote to legalize mushrooms. <laughs> um, but, you know, also Colorado as of, ooh, what day is it? Is it? Uh, it's, it's almost twenty seventh. I think. 20, All right. Yeah. Uh, so we passed a law last year in Colorado. It did mm -hmm. not get much press. I don't know why. Uh, it goes into effect in March, I believe the end of March. I don't think it's the beginning of March. Uh, but as of March this year in Colorado, personal oh, possession yeah. of most drugs oh, yeah. is going to be a misdemeanor, this. not a felony. Yeah. Um, there were a few things that were exempted, including ketamine. Um, it really? was most, yeah. So most of the drugs that were exempted were drugs that law enforcement was claiming were primarily date rape drugs. What? So Rohypnol, uh, they claimed that ketamine was primarily a date rape drug. What? I mean, you know, I guess I could see it, but it's like, it, it's, that's not what it's used for. Right. You know? and, and it was really just a matter of picking where we wanted to fight law enforcement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right, which so hill, the sheriff, which hill you want to die right, on and if the sheriffs thing. really want to fight over rohypnol and ketamine, it's like okay, bro. Right, right. like let's <laughs> yeah. just let's just defelonize everything else now. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about ketamine this upcoming legislative session, right? Yeah, there's exactly. other there's other opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think once everyone sees that the you know the world doesn't collapse around them when we defelonize possession of cocaine and defelonize possession of MDMA and LSD and mm -hmm. all these things, defelonize. Yeah. So when you're talking uh, misdemeanor, are we talking like a ticket? Uh, no, uh, first misdemeanor, I think it's a class A misdemeanor. I, mm -hmm. I'd have to look it up. I ha it's still potential jail time. Okay. 
Uh, but the reality... It's not like on your permanent record keeping you from voting. It's not whatever. a felony conviction, right. right? So when you're getting a job, you right. don't have yeah, to yeah. like click that convicted felon box. Mm, okay. When you're applying for you know, uh, uh, Section 8 housing or gotcha. food stamps, this does not disqualify you. Student loans, mm. you're not going to get your student loans yanked out from under you because they caught you with one gram of mushrooms, <laughs> right. which is a thing that I personally have friends had that happen. Like that I had friends so who were in graduate crazy. programs and just killing it. And got caught with a gram of mushrooms and like their entire lives fell apart because they can't get loans. And it's insane. Disturbing. It's insane, right? It's it's a completely inappropriate. Felonies are supposed to be serious crimes, Mm -hmm. right? That was the that's the whole that's what the word means. That's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, And the reality is that we've seen an expansion of what is considered a felony in this country since the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you look at our prison rates in you know the early 1960s and our prison rates now uh and you look at violent crime rate over that same time period this massive explosion in prison population was not because there was an explosion in violent crime mm-hmm. it was because we expanded the definition of what was considered a serious crime mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so now we have people who i mean i have a friend right now serving an eight-year sentence for what a lot of us would consider like relatively small amounts of LSD, right? So it was like less than a sheet. Uh, And it wasn't his first arrest, but like he's serving Mm -hmm. an eight-year sentence for less than a sheet of LSD, which to the police, a sheet, a hundred doses of anything sounds like this huge amount of drugs. Yeah. Anybody who's been involved in psychedelic culture recognizes that a sheet is a small group of friends over a weekend, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Like that's literally what we're talking about is a small number of people over a two or three day party. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so to treat that in many cases as more serious than law enforcement treats sexual assault, uh, violent assault, grand theft, felony fraud is insane. I mean, it's, it's just an inappropriate sort of use of our law enforcement resources. Uh, and now the United States has more people in prison than any civilization in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's true both in absolute numbers and also as a percentage of our civilization, more people in jail than Soviet gulags. Right. Uh, uh, that hurts. That's yeah, wild. right. It's a we, are, we are the most heavily incarcerated civilization in the history of the world. Uh, and it is be explicitly because of the, mm-hmm. of the, the drug the, war. Dr- yeah, drug right. That's take, literally what like, it is, is drug laws. And, and you're taking just maybe like a nice guy that likes to do drugs and then throwing him into the system. Right. And then like... Now they're convicted felons. Yeah. yeah. Right? So no, now your job looked. opportunities have vanished. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I mean, like, let's be clear too. Everybody uses drugs. Right, right. More than fifty percent. Oh, if you, well, sure. Caffeine if you and those, alcohol. Right, right. If we're like, including all drugs, everyone uses drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even in surveys, more than fifty percent of people say that they've used an illegal drug at some point in their life. And right? most and, people are lying. And most people <laughs> yeah. are lying. That seems low. It yeah. seems very low. <laughs> yeah. But even if we assume that's true, that just means that illegal drug use is normal, right? Exactly. That, that the word normal means right. most people have done it. Yeah. Right. And most people have used illegal drugs. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so what we're talking about, and like, let's be really, really honest here. When is the last time we had a president who you guys think had never used cocaine? Right. So we have Trump, who was a Wall Street mogul in the 80s, I mean, he's right? Still, he's still got to <laughs> be doing he's, it. He's, he, he seems to be stimulated occasionally. It's true. Sudafed. Uh, Obama, right. Obama wrote about it in his book. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Yeah. In Dreams from My Father, he explicitly talked about his own cocaine use. The Bush is definitely. The Bush did. is definitely. Clinton. <laughs> Clinton for, for sure. sure. For sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we're already back into the 80s, yeah. right? Yeah. We're talking literally decades mm-hmm. since we've had a president who 
at least everyone assumes use drugs. Yeah. Maybe we're wrong about some of them. I don't know. Well, I don't and, know and even if Reagan didn't do cocaine, he brought a shit ton. He brought a shit country. ton. And I mean, it's a good way to fund the Contras, right? I mean, uh, uh, there's very, very, very credible reasons to believe that JFK actually did acid while he was president. Cool. Um, there's there's yeah, people who that. very, very sort of candidly spoke about things that were going on at that time among his sort of peer network that mm-hmm. it would, it would mm-hmm. seem almost impossible that he was didn't it, do. Was it already illegal then? Uh, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure. I'm not hundred percent sure. I think, okay. I, I think it was, Okay, but you know, when they first made it illegal, the academics didn't stop. Right. Right. It was mm-hmm. still going on within those academic circles. Sure. Sure. Uh, and the reality is a bunch of rich white dudes giving drugs to their other rich white dude friends is not going to be attacked by law enforcement. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so I think that's, yeah. And also like just before the gates came down, there was a massive flood of people who ordered legal LSD from Sandoz. Everybody saw the writing on the wall. Once, once uh, Leary and Alpert were kicked out of Harvard, I oh, think yeah, everybody yeah. saw what direction it was heading. Totally. Uh, and you know, a three gram order from Sandoz is a hell of a head stash. Yeah, right? awesome. I mean, there's probably some of that stuff <laughs> probably that. still exists. Yeah, right. Realistically, some of that Sandoz Dang. acid is probably still sitting in freezers in this country. So is that um, uh, Albert Hoffman's company, or that he was uh, he was working for, for Sandoz? Yeah, right. He, he, was working. Yeah, he didn't yeah. own it. It was. A, right, right. I mean, it's still. I mean, I say was, but it's still a massive european pharmaceutical development oh, really? firm oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah sandoz is is still around still filing patents actually still working on ergot derivatives for various drugs they've been knocking on that knocking on that door for a long time <laughs> Going now down that it's a it's it's a big hole. it's a big family of molecules yeah they do a lot of interesting things mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. both both psychologically and also physiologically um and so yeah they've just been sort of working on that family for a long time but yeah um yeah, Sandoz is still around, uh, and I'm sure some of their acid's still around. So, do do you think that pharmaceutical companies are like one of the main reasons why our favorite drugs, quote unquote, are illegal? Uh, you know, what's what's kind of like the ins and outs of all that? Yeah, I. The reality is, I think it has more to do with things that are not actually related to drugs. Uh, so if you look at like Richard Nixon's drugs are, he said very openly, like it wasn't about the drugs. It was about who was using those drugs. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. So the okay. free speech mm-hmm. and anti-war movements were really into psychedelics. Mm-hmm. They couldn't criminalize being against the war in Vietnam. Right. That wasn't possible. Yeah. But what they could do was criminalize the drugs that the people who were against the war liked. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they could go after those people with complete impunity, totally clean hands about this isn't political. They're breaking the law. Mm-hmm. Right. And they really effectively smashed the anti-war movement through psychedelic sort of drug enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with marijuana, it was always about african-americans and hispanics right you know you can you can actually pull old newspaper articles right oh you know marijuana makes you know these people want to rape white women it's like a news story that was uh-huh. like an actual thing uh and so i think that most of the drugs are not illegal because of what they are and then we're stuck with um, we're it was stuck just with who was doing legacy them, yeah right it was just who was yeah. doing them and mm-hmm. right so there's this idea of of legislative inertia yeah right like once you have government programs heading in a certain direction mm-hmm. they tend to keep that. going in that direction it's, yeah. it's, it's it literally inertia you have to put effort in to stop that mm-hmm. direction uh that being said the there are industries that benefit from this. Mm. Uh, a lot of them do fund politicians. You know, when we were trying to legalize pot in the state of Colorado, the alcohol industry really heavily funded people who were against 
recreational legalization. That mm-hmm. was a thing that happened. It's public record. You can go look yeah. at those donations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the private prison industry is the big one. Um, you can actually pull their like corporate reports. Uh, and if you go back far enough, you'll, they've, they've learned to not say this stuff anymore, but they used to say things like drug prisoners make model prisoners. Right, like they used to say stuff like that. Right, if you have of to warehouse, they do. look if you have to, if you have to warehouse ten thousand people, yeah, do you yeah. want ten thousand murderers or ten thousand pot smokers? Yeah, right. If it's Easy. literally, if it's literally just your product, your product is the people yeah, in yeah. jail. Yeah, you want, uh, obviously you want the pot smokers. You want chilled right? out I mean, homies. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, they donate really heavily to pro prohibition, but that's sort of after the fact, right? They started making all this money. It's really easy money to like warehouse a bunch of pot smokers. Like right. it's just not hard work. It's basically an apartment complex, right? I mean, like right. it's that's like what we're you talking about. You build the thing, and you build the thing, <laughs> you put the people in it, and the money rolls in. Yeah. Um, and we're talking huge amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also in rural areas, I don't know if you guys know this, but we're coming up on the census. When they do a census, it controls how many representatives you get politically right, right? right prisoners are counted not where they were arrested or where they're from but where they are House, warehoused where they are. Huh. right so you have counties that have virtually no industry other than the prison everyone who lives in that county is either working at the prison you know an administrator for the prison contractor for the prison and their vote counts for like 30 or 40 times what your or our vote Really counts for because the census is based on the prisoners, but the prisoners don't get the votes. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. So it's literally holding. Is that how power. Trump won the yeah. election? I mean, <laughs> I, I've given up my ability to predict politics after 2016, so yeah. I have no idea why Trump won. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen know, in November. I've, give, I've, I've given it. Up. I've given up. I was so wrong in 2016. <laughs> I had a friend who is stratospherically wealthy and a very honorable dude who was willing to bet me a thousand to one that Trump would win. Yeah. I saw that shit. And you know what? Like I learned an important lesson, which is if somebody who's rich bets you a thousand to one on anything, (laughs) you throw 10 bucks on it. It literally doesn't matter what the thing is. I can put 10 bucks down and he would have paid me. He would have given me the 10 grand. (laughs) Um, And like, boy, that was a lesson, right? I mean, really, if anyone offers you a thousand to one odds on anything, you throw 10 bucks on it. Yeah, you do. Um, But no, I, uh, this is a way of controlling political power. It's a way right. of controlling, but there's a lot of facets. That's just to this. gerrymandering, right? So it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, gerrymandering through moving non-voting bodies. Right. Really, it's mm. it's a different thing. It's not quite gerrymandering. I don't know if we have a term for this actually. Right. It's such a little-known phenomenon that I don't know if we have a way of discussing it. <laughs> right. Um. But it's 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 it feels in form a lot like the three-fifths compromise. Mm-hmm. Right where African Americans were counted as three fifths of a person in the census, right. but they weren't allowed to vote. Right. And so the more slaves you had, the stronger your political power was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you combine it with uh, unequal racial enforcement in the drug war, where African Americans and Hispanics who are arrested with X amount of drugs are statistically more likely to be charged with a felony and more likely to be convicted of a felony than white people who are charged with the exact same crimes. Yep. It really starts to look like, like a way that. of like in, of enforcing racial disenfranchisement. Mm-hmm. Like it really, really starts to look like that. Whether that's intentional or just the outcome, yeah, yeah, I don't know, and I don't know if it really matters. Mm-hmm. I don't think it really does. Yeah, it's like, like it's just where we're at. It's we still need to fix it either right. way, you know. Right, and so, I think the big one is is restoring uh, felon voting rights universally. Mm-hmm. The minute you walk out of jail, if you're not, if you are too dangerous to be trusted with the vote. You're too dangerous you to be yeah, walking around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. it. If, mm-hmm. the, if the government thinks you are safe enough to be out of prison, 
I trust you with the vote. Yeah, totally. Bottom line. Yeah. Uh, But we don't do that. Uh, And in Florida, the voters very explicitly said, we want to return voting rights to felons. Mm -hmm. And the Republican controlled legislature has been pulling just like eight months now of nonstop shenanigans to try to stop this. (laughs) Uh, And so they just got overturned by the courts. But the last thing they were trying to do is that you had to pay off all of your like fines and fees Mm -hmm. before you could vote. But felons often leave prison with hundreds of thousands of dollars Mm. in like owed fines. Everybody knows they're never going to pay them back. Right. Uh, It's literally just like another way of continually controlling their lives after they're out of prison. Yeah. Uh, And when you tie that to voting, it's a poll tax. Right. And we've like had whole, you know, we've sent generals into the South to stop poll taxes, <laughs> right? Like this is a yeah. thing we've done in this country before. Right. Right. Like used the military to stop that sort of shit. Right. Uh, and yet the Florida legislature in the year 2020, <laughs> uh, is explicitly trying to institute poll taxes for felons. <laughs> so it's, yeah, we've gotten quite far off. It's, well, well, no, it's, 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 but it, dance is all politics. I mean, I hate to say it, yeah, but like, it's okay. Just I so mean, much of what we do is political. Well, what about like move more into that, you know, like outside of politics or at least swaying the political sphere. Do you think there's, you know, a, a true responsibility on drug users to make sure that they do use drugs responsibly and responsible drug users maybe have a responsibility to come out of the closet and share how you can live a healthy life and incorporate these drugs? So that's a, that's a complicated question for me because the reality is, uh, most drug users start when they're very young, Mm -hmm. at least enough start when they're very young that putting that responsibility on them, I don't know if this is fair, right? I mean, I was maybe 14 the first time I tried MDMA. I might've actually been 13. I don't know. It was very young, but it was totally normal within my peer group. Mm -hmm. Like all of my friends by 14, 15 were rolling quite frequently. Okay. Uh, And so like, it was just a thing. Like it was Florida mid nineties. MDMA was absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could literally go to parties and find it on the ground. Like you didn't even have to buy drugs. Like (laughs) so many people had it in their pocket that they were dropping it. That like you could just go to the party and just, find drugs. Wow. Um, and so the idea that in a country where we fund just say no education to the tune of, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year that we should expect 14 and 15 year olds to be able to figure that out on their own. Right. Is tough. That's yeah. tough for me to say. Uh, that being said as a community, uh, yeah, I think substance users do have an obligation to sort of educate themselves, to educate their friends, to educate their peers. I mean, this is the whole idea behind Dan Safe. Is really what we do is train people how to teach their friends. Cool, right? right? Yeah. It's not just about teaching you. It's mm-hmm. about no. We want you to be able to tell your friends. Yeah. Um, it's why we've never developed a single use reagent test kit. Okay. Right. That's yeah. that's a philosophical decision on our part. We mm-hmm. our kits have always done sixty to one hundred tests. Nice. They always will. Mm-hmm. Um, they only last for six or eight months before the chemistry starts to go bad. You have a time limit to use those 80 tests Can and you, we want you to use them, right? Yeah. We want you to be talking to your friends being like, hey, do you guys have anything that you need tested? Do you know anyone who, you know, like I've got this test kit. It's going to be going bad soon. Like I, I want to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a, a philosophical decision that we made a long, long time ago and that I'm very sort of set on. Yeah. Um, there's companies in Europe that have developed these like single use tests. Uh they're not that much cheaper than our 60 use tests. Realistically, the, mm-hmm. the technology of, of creating, you know, nitrogen glass ampules that hold the reagent inside there is expensive tech. I mean, I looked into the machine at one point, it was like, you know, $170,000 or Got something. Um, <laughs> but even if it was cheap, I wouldn't do it Yeah, because 
the only one I would consider would be a single use LSD test mm -hmm. because so often like out on a dance floor, somebody will offer to dose someone that mm -hmm. having something in your pocket, mm -hmm. you could be like, I want you to put one drop in here first mm -hmm. would be really handy. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of other drugs that that would really be the case with, right? Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of other drugs where people literally go to the party just to give it away. Yeah, That's really right. sort of unique to LSD culture. Totally, yeah, totally. Um, and so that would be the one that I would consider. But other than that, no, we want you to be educating your friends. We want, you know, we develop new literature all the time. We update our literature all the time. Mm. Uh, we have a five MEO DMT card that we're going to be releasing soon. We're starting to have people show up at our booth and ask if we can test five. Whoa. Um, yeah. It's, a thing. it's happened a couple times. Um, I had a couple That's emails, wild. uh, in the couple last couple weeks asking about it as well. I mean, once Mike Tyson is, is talking about a yeah. drug in GQ, the toad, yeah. the toad. it's probably <laughs> time to, it's probably time to release a card on it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's being yeah. talked about in GQ and on ESPN, yeah, it's time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, we've been working on that one. Uh, there's other drugs that we don't release cards on, uh, particularly drugs that are just adulterants. Mm. Um, so like we never released a methylone card, even though methylone was actually quite common for a long time, mm -hmm. but it wasn't being sold as methylone. It was being sold as MDMA. Yeah. So we created other literature to educate people about methylone and ethylone and butylone and all those families of drugs. But if people aren't actively seeking it out, I don't want people to see a dance safe card and be like, Oh, this is a drug that people oh, are let's like try looking some for, right? So yeah, let's yeah. try this drug. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, because even though we try really Smart. hard for our literature not to be promotional, mm. uh, the reality yeah. is there's certain implications to information being presented the way we, we present it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so like with the five MEO DMT card, there's going to be a lot of qualifiers in there that like, in some ways it's really unfortunate that the name is so close to NNDMT. Yeah. yeah. Totally it's, different. It's experience. such a totally different experience <laughs> that it's really unfortunate that the names are so similar. Mm. Um, so we're going to try to stress on there. Like, you know, keep in mind that psilocybin is also ends in DMT, right? If you look yeah. at the chemical structure of psilocybin, right. mm -hmm. if we didn't call it psilocybin, we would also call it, yeah. people would think of it as like, oh, it's a type of DMT. Exactly. Right. It's like, no, there are no types of molecules in the way that people mean that. Mm -hmm. Right. Even the family of substituted amphetamines, there are dosage ranges from like two milligrams to 200 milligrams of yeah. like effective dose. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, just because something is in the amphetamine family, just because something ends with the letters DMT. Yeah. But that's where we're at is that people think people are like, Oh, why don't you just release one card? That's for, DM for all the DMTs. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 no. Like if you there, get, there if, are big difference. There's a well, big there's differences. A, and if you get a hold of five yeah. thinking it's NNDMT and you load a 80 milligram dose into a pipe, yeah. you are going to have a really unfortunate evening. Like, <laughs> and possibly, I mean, the, the reintegration and reactivation thing with five MEO DMT is real. Yeah. Uh, I've personally spoken to people who years later were still having reactivations where they were like fully going into five space uh, the first time I did it, it lasted about a year where I would have random moments, like particularly going to sleep where as I would be dozing off, I would start to get that like sort of five, you know, the universe yeah. is all one thing yeah. and I'm not actually localized the solid in this body. State. And the, right. It's the yeah, solid state consciousness, uh, zero point energy, whatever we want to call that. Thing. It doesn't really have a lot of words that match it in this, right. whatever this thing is out here, yeah. all the words for what this out here is for what that is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a year, maybe a year and a half of like that. And also uh, three different times where in my dreams, you I would smoke, smoke toad. It. Yeah, yeah. And would be mm -hmm. immediately back in toad space. And I would come out of that <laughs> into my dream and then immediately into waking consciousness. Wow. Because it was like so jarring to come out of that in a dream. <laughs> yeah. 
that I was like, wait, this isn't real. Yeah. Right. Cause that's the whole experience, right? <laughs> yeah. Is the realization that this isn't real mm-hmm. and coming out of that into a thing that is itself another layer, uh, layer what? removed <laughs> was so jarring that it would like wake me up in bed and I'd be like, Oh, <laughs> it wasn't real. Like, wait, <laughs> like, I don't even, uh, five MEO, the tryptamine that keeps on giving. Yeah. 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 Whether you want it to or not. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's a it's a really interesting molecule, but like we're not releasing the card because I really think it's an interesting molecule. Yeah, uh, we're releasing it because it's becoming a community concern, right? right. It's becoming right. a thing that's happening. Uh, and like we're having people show up at parties with five to test. Um, so either well, they're bringing it because they know we're going to be there or it's being moved through right. the do festival th- circuit. Do I don't really know. Do I, you I, fall anywhere on the spectrum of like should and shouldn'ts in terms of like how you use psychedelics like dmt or or yeah i um i don't feel comfortable making those decisions for other people right Mm -hmm. um i make them for myself sure sure uh i don't i don't use most psychedelics in a way that would be called recreational at this point in my life Mm -hmm. yeah um part of that is that i'm 38 (laughs) and like i'm just like (laughs) i feel you you know i went through periods of very very heavy psychedelic use when i was young uh and i'm deeply appreciative of those experiences uh i have I don't want to say no regrets, but very few regrets about those that right. time in my life. Yeah. Uh, including the times that I engaged in behavior that I now look back and realize was like very problematic and potentially risky. I'm still appreciative for the fact that like, no, it got me to here and it got me where I'm, I am now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that being said, there are different risks to different types of use. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, ending up at a Denny's when you thought you were okay to drive, uh, and then watching the pattern of the Denny's couch crawl onto your friend's shirt, <laughs> you know, makes you realize that like maybe you were not okay to drive to the Denny's, yeah. right? even though you're eight, eight and a half, ten hours in. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, you feel sober compared to three hours ago, but three hours ago, you could not have finished a game of tic tac toe. Yeah. Right? Exactly. It doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah. mean you're at driving point. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, but I'm just not other than engaging in behavior that can directly harm others. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Uh, those things I'm okay telling people like, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> and, and driving is one of those things. Absolutely. Uh, I, I definitely have actually had people argue with me about this. Like, no, I can drive on mushrooms. I'm like, great. <laughs> I don't, a, I don't believe you. Uh, uh, B, even if it only decreases your driving efficacy by like 3%, do you yeah. really want to deal you with the take potential that outcome of that? Right. Right. Like mm. I've been in plenty of car accidents completely sober. Yeah. Right. They suck. Yeah. <laughs> and they're unpredictable. Right. Imagine being they happen in a car so accident fast. If you're tripping in a car accident. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, you just don't God. want to deal with that. Right. Like it just as an individual, terrible. you don't want to have to deal with the police tripping. Right. Yeah. Like even yeah. if they don't figure it out, mm-hmm. which yeah. they probably will because they're trained and mm-hmm. your pupils are dilated. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Um, like there's physiological things too, right? Like people mm. often forget that when they're tripping, it's like, no, you're physiologically. <laughs> it's like, yeah. we can tell. We can yeah. tell. We all know. Yeah. Right. Your mom knows. It's not just your mom. It's not just your cat. <laughs> we all, you know. Um, yeah. But no, other than that, this idea that like, oh, we should create ceremony around certain things. If people want to create ceremony around substances, ceremony is a powerful thing. Just sure. whether or not it's, it's real with capital R, it, it's psychologically a thing that humans do really well. Sure. Right. We, sure, we, sure. we integrate ceremony really well as a species it's probably what made us a species like things that we would now call ceremony is probably right. like 
things that made us human. And so like it's biologically ingrained into us for community to sort of create these rituals. Mm -hmm. Um, so they're useful. They work, uh, they work really, really well. I mean, they, I mean the Eleusian mysteries in, in ancient, in ancient Greece unified the entire empire for right. thousands of years, right? A psychedelic ritual mm -hmm. unified that empire. Uh, but also, even that far back, we found records of people being arrested and tried for like misusing the mysteries at home. <laughs> so even in an yeah. empire that was built around psychedelic illumination, mm -hmm. there, were there were still people still who were tripping at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't think that anyone should make that judgment call for anyone else. Sure, sure. Five uh, MeO DMT is is a a sort of unique molecule in a lot of ways but one right. of the ways that it's a unique molecule is that i really feel like it has almost no what we would call recreational potential mm -hmm. um it's you don't often there's i've heard a, a thousand different people describe the five experience and i can count on one hand of the number of times i've had people describe it as fun yeah <laughs> right like it yeah, has yeah. Thrust i've had people darkness, say yeah. blissful you often hear blissful is, right is illuminating not the same as fun. blissful is not the same as fun <laughs> right um and so yeah it's just it's a, a molecule that just doesn't lend itself well to what we would call like a fun night yeah um you know and and high dose mushrooms are the same way Sure. Like mushrooms at a low dose can be a super enjoyable, fun experience. Uh, you know, sort of McKennian doses, right? Five dry grams in silent darkness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another experience I've never heard people really describe as fun. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, interesting. Maybe trying. interesting <laughs> is the one we hear testing. most often, right? That was really interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, the, the lights are pretty, the, the, sound alteration is pretty uh having your entire conception of like self other right dissolve out from under your feet yeah is not something we're really primed to enjoy it seems like ontological disruption o right ontological disruption right <laughs> it's not, not an enjoyable yeah experience. it's not that fun yeah which is i think why we were able to go i mean we're what three decades in now to salvia extracts mm -hmm. and they're still legal in most states mm, really uh, yeah so colorado's an example of one where it's not legal i felt i'll just tell a little story here yeah but, uh, <laughs> i love salvia stories the, the first the first and only time i've done salvia that's how the story I, usually starts I, I, <laughs> <laughs> exactly i came out of it being like man if anything should be illegal yeah <laughs> like, so, you I do mean, not want to be like trying to do anything else but like laying on the ground in fact you're more or less paralyzed for at least a little bit of it yeah or i was i mean i can't speak yeah. to anyone so, else's experience but so i was part of a group called the salvia divinorum buyers club that sort of predated the head shop distribution nice mm -hmm. um and when the head shop started carrying them i like physically went to so many head shops i mean i can't even tell you how many i went to <laughs> Pro probably 50 just being like have you like, I want to talk to the owner and I would ask like, have you tried this? And they'd be like, no. And I'm like, I know you legally have to say no because it's incense. Right. Right. What I am telling you is that like, you should try a thing before you sell it because yeah. selling these things as like a legal pot might kill someone. Like, yeah, somebody might do this while they're driving. Right. And yeah. like, I'm not saying you'll have any legal liability. 
I am saying to be able to sleep at night. Right. You should try yeah. this thing. And there were definitely some where it disappeared off the shelves. Huh. Nice. So it didn't usually work, but there was right. a handful of shops right. where I think that owner tried it and they were like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No way I should. Be. Right. Because I mean, people bought it at a head shop and they're like, how could it be a drug? It can't be a real drug, right? Yeah. I bought it at the this head shop. I used my credit card. It must be. <laughs> it's just, it, this, this oh, can't be a, it's a real a drug. <laughs> Let me tell yeah. you. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I often joked that Salvia is the drug so addictive that no one does it twice, right? Because the vast majority of people literally, particularly once the extracts came around and you mm-hmm. were able to like consistently break through, mm-hmm. a Salvia breakthrough for a very heavily experienced psychonaut who knows what's going to happen is still a lot. For somebody at like it's 14, aggressive. 15 who's never had like a heavy yeah. psychedelic, uh-huh. it's just universally too much. Yeah. Like they do it and they're just like, no, like, yeah. no, like I don't mm-hmm. ever want to. And it, it's so nonsensical, right? It's the it's, grand it's, psychedelic practical joke. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> right? And like, okay, you know what? Spending 150 billion years as a circus is like a circus tent or like becoming a pinwheel or turning into the letter a, I mean, these things are really interesting that our brains can do that, but like, boy, they are not fun. Right. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, uh, and like, okay, I just, we spend our entire lives assuming that gravity means a certain thing, right? (laughs) Down means down. Right. Uh, we don't really think about the fact that our perception of down is a neurologically driven process, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, down is down. That's a, that's a real physiological, physical, Thing, right. Your perception of it is only tangentially related to the physiological <laughs> process. Mm. And there is something in your brain that we can alter and salve whatever it salvia does. We have not really studied as a society. We've right. not really studied salvia. Well, right. um, we should. Yeah, because absolutely. whatever generates our sense of self. Mm-hmm. Right, oh, yeah. We can understand very deeply through understanding what salvia does. I agree. Because salvia just like, it doesn't disrupt it in the way that five does, right? Where you have this universal connectedness to the world. Mm -hmm. It makes you believe other things (laughs) that are just like totally nonsensical from a sober standpoint. Right. Like completely nonsensical. They just, literally, you tell people about salvia experiences. And if they haven't had one, they think you're joking or lying. (laughs) Yeah, like for some reason, like, I, I was yellow for like just the color, just the color yellow. Sure. For a little yeah, bit. Why not? And why not? then I, I like, I was the floor and then also like just bouncing like, I don't know. So I, the, the other thing, that sounds like such a wook story. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> cool. Salvia stories always sound like wook stories. I mean, that's the nature of Salvia is that it's a practical joke. I mean, so the, the, I've been told this from a friend of mine who has actually uh, lived in the Mazatec highlands where Salvia comes from. Mm-hmm. And apparently up there, they say that Salvia is a water spirit. And so she doesn't like fire. Oh, right. Yeah. So right? she doesn't like being burned. I've heard about mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And so I think, you know, what he says is like, you know, she's a, she's a being, right? This mm-hmm. is a very common sort of understanding of psychedelics from mm-hmm. indigenous cultures is that they're, they're sentient. They're alive. Right. They're living beings. Uh, and she doesn't like fire. And so you burn her and she burns you back. It's like, oh, you want to burn me? Like, let me show you what I can do. Right. You know, I've got like, some tricks up my sleeve. I always heard that the, the traditional way was to take the leaves and put a quid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Large so, quid, so, like, so like chewing tobacco in your mouth and then you get like a slower drip of the alkaloids in yeah, there and yeah. then you have a more extended yep. kind of grounded meaningful trip. Yeah, they never smoked it. That was not mm. the the indigenous <laughs> use was not smoked. It was it was sublingual. Yeah. Um and the extracts is pure, uh, another level of abstraction from the right. from the natural, right? Yeah, so you know, you, pulling out yeah. extra alkaloids and putting it back on the original thing mm-hmm. is natural in the sort of most technical meaning of that term. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. Right. Um but from like a from like a you know sort of uh 
shamanic indigenous perspective mm-hmm. this is no longer the the spirit that we were talking about exactly right? yeah and so, you're, yeah. you're like abusing this this it's like an ancestor or something in the form of a, a yeah. chemical compound Do you guys edit this you're, podcast or is this going to air as is with all of our like uh sort of side it, it, yeah, yeah we, we usually just, just roll we okay. just roll with yeah, it i was just curious i was just curious uh yeah no i mean i think uh one of my favorite things about Salvia that I probably spent 10 years figuring out how to say, because for the first 10 years I tried to say this, nobody understood what I was saying. <laughs> right. But I think I finally figured out how to say it, is that most psychedelics alter your uh, visual processing in a very similar way, right? When you take LSD and you're looking at like a picture or the wall melt, the thing you're looking at and the thing you're experiencing as your vision are actually quite distinct. They're very far apart, mm-hmm. right? It's actually altering the way you are seeing the thing. Right. Salvia doesn't seem to do that, but it does alter your processing of what you're seeing. Yeah. Right. So you're like looking at a bookshelf and you smoke the salvia and suddenly you're looking at an alien city. Mm-hmm. But when you come out of the salvia space, you realize that the alien city was the bookshelf. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It wasn't that the bookshelf changed in any way when you come out of it. Right. Mm-hmm. It actually stays exactly the same. Right. Um, and I, I think salvia is the only drug I've ever done that does that. Where like I had this, I had one experience where my consciousness was a point of light on this interlocking series of dodecahedrons that went for infinity. And I nice. mean infinity. I was bouncing through this thing forever. Yeah. Uh, and when I came out of it, I actually saw a, a shape that was different than the dodecahedrons that once I was out of salvia space, I realized was my own back, like huddled over. Wow. And I bounced into myself mm-hmm. and my eyes were already open and I realized that the interlocking series of dodecahedrons that I had been bouncing through was the kitchen tile that I was looking at. (laughs) And it was just like nothing changed visually. I went from inner infinite interlocking dodecahedrons that extend throughout all of time and space to kitchen tile and the visual never changed. That right. was the universal. Information. The information stayed yeah. the same. Huh. And it like, was... boy, Salvi is the only one I've ever done that does that. Like, I've never done any other psychedelic. I mean, it's, it's been 20 years since I smoked Salvia. And that, yeah. that image of that interlocking series of dodecahedrons is as fresh as the front of your house. It's actually <laughs> fresher. I can picture that easier. <laughs> like, if you asked me to tell you what, you know, to draw the outside of your house, yeah, I yeah. would be pretty screwed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but picturing that, like, interlocking dodecahedrons from decades ago was so firmly burned into my mind. And it was literally kitchen tiles i mean it, it was so such a strange experience it's very strange but, but this is what we we're talking about right the the, the, the power of psychedelics mm-hmm. i think if you have to sum, sum them up and i hate veering this far into psychedelic exceptionalism i really think that like all drugs are okay and they all have their place mm-hmm. uh but man i will tell you the thing i really gained from psychedelics is a distrust of my own neurological processes yeah you know so many people go through life believing what they think And like, you probably shouldn't believe what you think. Cause like what you think is heavily informed by your childhood, by childhood trauma, by by people telling you, by people telling you things that are simply (laughs) untrue that you've never learned to, to disbelieve, uh, by your trust in your own perception of the world. Mm -hmm. Right. We have this built in trust of what our senses tell us. Seeing is believing, right? We even Mm. write it into our language. The idea that seeing is believing. And it's like, 
No. Like if you've ever seen the famous uh, psych, uh, uh, psychological experiment where they tell you to count how many times the guy is dribbling a basketball. And the gorilla. And there's a guy in a gorilla yeah. suit who walks behind him and like, you know, 80% of people or something don't miss it. see the gorilla. <laughs> yeah. Like a guy in a gorilla suit walking directly in front of you. Right. You are perfectly capable of missing that as a human. Right. We all are, yeah. including those of us who've done psychedelics. Doing psychedelics doesn't fix this underlying issue. Mm-hmm. But it teaches you that the issue is there. Right. Right. Because seeing is not believing on LSD. Mm-hmm. No. Right. Because even when the, the you know, the uh, I don't know if you've ever uh, done acid in Florida, but the Spanish moss on trees, uh, another image that is very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. You know, these things aren't happening when you're mm-hmm. on psychedelics. It doesn't matter how much LSD you're on. You know that mm-hmm. the wall's not bleeding. Yeah. Right. But your vision is clearly showing you mm-hmm. this is happening. Right. And learning to distrust your own perception of reality. I think is, is is a really, really, really valuable thing for any person to gain. Absolutely. And it's even more valuable when we have a society that has learned like, no, like you can't forget what you see. You can't trust what you know. Mm-hmm. Right. What you can trust is what you can test. Exactly. Right? What you yeah. can experiment, what you can peer review, what you can study. Mm-hmm. That's what you can start to trust. Mm-hmm. And even that you can't really trust, right? It's, it's, right. uh, I, I have a very, very close friend who named their kid theory, uh, right? <laughs> don't have any beliefs. Like it's okay to have theories, yeah. right? But don't have beliefs. <laughs> exactly. Cause when you believe something, it precludes believing the opposite of that thing. Right. I, exactly. I, was it McKenna who said it, it might've been. I'm I'm not sure, it, but it feels oh, the like a mechanical. He was heavy. Yeah, he was like, heavy on don't believe anything. Yeah, I think it's, it feels like a mechanic quote that if you believe something, it excludes believing the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so yeah, all drugs are fine. They should all be legal. They all have their place. Uh, but all drugs are also unique, right? Every molecule brings something else to the table. Sure. Uh, and I think as a group psychedelics bring something unique to the table. And I think what they bring to the table is that the ability to learn that like, no, seeing is not believing. Right. Uh, in fact, your eyewitness testimony is the least reliable part of any police investigation. Yep. Right. They never trust what people tell them. So cops know this district attorneys know this psychologists know this doctors know this. Uh, but as a, as a society, we still very much believe that we can trust our perception of the world. Right. And we see what like three to 5% of the electromagnetic spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of us can hold, you know, maybe three to five thoughts in our minds at a time. Maybe what I'm trying to do right now. Right. (laughs) It's, 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 we are, we are just not built for understanding reality. We're barely bipedal chimpanzees, right? Like literally barely bipedal. Like Mm -hmm. we made it up, hang out with, (laughs) hang out with a bunch of people in their forties and see who doesn't bitch about their knees. Right. We are barely bipedal chimpanzees. We just don't process data that well. We don't store data well at all. Well, Mm -hmm. I I think we look at the world in terms of, you know, we have to be narrowly focused because our, if we were to oh, consciously yeah, yeah, yeah. know everything that was going on all at once, it would be overwhelming and we wouldn't get anything done. No, no, no. There, so, are, there are real survival advantages yeah. to what we are. We have to look at everything as, as like tools, you know, or like a means to an end, I sure. feel like. And like you were saying, psychedelics break that down and get you to question your sense of reality. Yeah, and, and I think that... Uh, you know, the other sort of big drug that Dan Safe deals with a lot is MDMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and MDMA is another drug that we can have a whole conversation about what regulatory models look like. When I say we should legalize all drugs, I don't say, I'm not saying sell heroin at 7 Eleven. That's not right. what I'm saying. Right. Uh, MDMA is a drug that I actually think 
the regulation is maybe 21 and up. Like maybe that's enough. If you're an adult, mm-hmm. this is a drug you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Doblin disagrees with me that uh, he's the executive director of, of MAPS. They do all the right. medical research on psychedelics. Uh, he actually favors a psychedelic licensing system where you'd have to like come and do MDMA with oh. a therapist, right? A couple times and then mm-hmm. you would have a license to use MDMA and you could take it home. Um, I think that's over regulation and also until we have universal health care, it just cuts the poor people out of their ability to access it, which is a big concern of mine is that this is a universally needs to be a universally acceptable. Yeah. Um, but whatever regulation model we choose for MDMA, uh, I genuinely believe that a, a large percentage of the planet using MDMA at least a few times in their life would be a tremendous net gain for this planet. I Absolutely. really believe that. And that's part of my personal motivation for trying to make it as safe as possible. Because mm-hmm. every time a person dies at a festival, every time a person dies at a rave, uh, for a long time, I was actually concerned about it stopping the medical research. That was a big part of my yeah. personal motivation because I knew people with PTSD who had done underground MDMA therapy and had been cured. Mm-hmm. They no right. longer met the criteria for PTSD, cured. Uh, and so for me, it was like, we can't let the medical research end. Like it's not acceptable for that mm-hmm. medical research to end. Um, now that we're past phase two, uh, the political optics no longer matter. MDMA is going to be a legal prescription drug in this country probably next year. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Maybe the year after, but we're nice. within, we're within 24 months. Awesome. Done. Um, and so I'm no longer as concerned about that, but what I really want is to start moving from the medicalized context, right? Where we're using this as this tremendous cure for PTSD, you know, people who've experienced sexual trauma. The reality is growing up a human is a traumatic event, Yep. (laughs) right? Like we've all experienced traumas and I'm not comparing the trauma that I I don't play the who's more traumatized game. Yeah. Uh, Clearly soldiers who've been in Afghanistan and seen all of their friends die in front of them have different needs than (laughs) people who grew up in rural Colorado, right? Mm. There's, there's a difference. Right. Um, But we've all been traumatized and I think we can all benefit from learning, uh, how to relate to other people in the way that MDMA intrinsically allows you right. to relate to other people. Psychedelics are fucking unpredictable. MDMA is the most predictable experience Just in the world. Extreme empathy. It's, right. Care, I actually care. think that was the biggest mistake we made was calling it ecstasy. I think it should have been called empathy. Empathy. Yeah. yeah we really mm-hmm. missed the boat on that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It doesn't sell as well like in a nightclub <laughs> in Dallas. Right? When that name was coined, it was a legal substance, yeah, right? It was right. legal to sell. And there was groups in based out of Dallas that were doing like basically what we would call Tupperware parties where they would send you a thing of MDMA. You'd give it to all your friends, take orders down, send the order back to these guys in Dallas. They would mail you MDMA and you would distribute it to your friends. This was legal. Um, And so ecstasy worked really well for marketing. Right. Yeah. Um, And so I think that (laughs) was the, the, it was a marketing name, not a empathy is what we really should have called it. Mm -hmm. And the ability to recognize that every person you interact with has the same range of emotions as you, the same thoughts as you. They're, mm-hmm. they're a human being with their own story, their own traumas, their own life mm-hmm. uh, is not something we're sort of good at as a species right. in general. Mm-hmm. We're very prone to in-group thinking. This is another thing that definitely had survival advantage, yeah. right? When you're in a cave holding a wooden stick, immediately being able to recognize this person is part of my group exactly. yeah. and that person is not uh-huh. yeah. is really helpful. Mm-hmm. When you are living on a planet was yeah. was really yeah. helpful for sure. When you're living on a planet where we have multiple different groups that have the absolute technological ability to end life on the planet, yeah. right? Literally every major nuclear powered government right. could effectively end everything. Right. Mm-hmm. That 
thing where you can look at a person's face and immediately be like, you're not part of my group is, is really dangerous. Yeah. It needs like, to be turned re- off. It needs to be turned off, <laughs> yeah. like, like physiologically turned off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really do think that MDMA is one of the tools that we have to sort of move in that direction. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I have real motivation here. Like I'm literally trying to save the world. Yeah. Um, and I really do believe that. I mean, I mean, uh, Rick talks about this somewhat openly as well. So I, I don't mind sort of pulling him into the conversation <laughs> um, that the idea really is to use MDMA therapy as a way of sort of decreasing violence in the world. Right. Yeah, he doesn't right. just want to treat PTSD. He wants to end war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, the military I think thinks that by ending PTSD, they can get these soldiers to go back and fight. <laughs> and you know what? I've had a lot of friends go through underground MDMA therapy training. I'm also friends now with people who went through phase two. They were part of the legal phase two studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are different people. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right. That might be a good Trojan horse in a way to like, uh, you know, if the military is like, yeah, this will get them to go back and fight. To Yeah, let's just, treat let's treat all the generals. Let's yeah. go right away. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden they start thinking about their enemies. Yeah. Yeah. In, on a, in an I MDMA mean, I was, trip. Uh, and, I, I, I know somebody who went through phase two MDMA psychotherapy tra- uh, treatment, mm-hmm. uh, legal treatment, part of the, uh, I don't think he was part of the Boulder study. I think he was somewhere else because Boulder's one of the study, study sites. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he was from Boulder. He was from somewhere else. Uh, before the therapy treatment, this was severe treatment-resistant PTSD. He was a uh, multiple deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. People died right in front of him. People that he loved died right in front of him. He had to do fucked up things to get home. Uh, and before he started the study, he was concerned about doing the study because he couldn't leave his house. He had a really hard time leaving his house. He would mm-hmm. order his groceries through apps, uh, you know, full disability, hundred percent disability, staying at home all the time. Uh, and the way I know him is through burning man. Like Mm. we hang out on playa. Nice. Um, after phase two, like a chaotic explodey environment. Yeah. Like things that burning man sometimes blow up. Yeah. Sometimes in ways you were not expecting them to blow up. Right. (laughs) I've definitely been surprised by surprise explosions out there. That's a real thing. (laughs) Uh, and the fact that I know him through that, Mm. Right. When before this therapy treatment, I couldn't have known him. Right. Because he wouldn't have left his house is just so astonishing. It's incredible. I mean, it's just astonishing. Amazing. And when you have drugs like N-ethylpentalone, you know, these really sort of intrinsically potentially problematic people tend to get really violent on N-ethylpentalone. People Mm. get, you know, really elevated heart rate. Like, the fact that a drug like that is being misrepresented as MDMA and that I have a tool that I can literally take out to a festival and like stop that, right? Right. I can stop it in its tracks. You know, people go back to their guy and demand their money back. Like Mm -hmm. those people leave the festival when Dan Safe is on site because they know they can't get away with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, is, is motivation money can't buy yeah. yeah. because I want people to be able to have these experiences if they want them. I want mm-hmm. people to be able to engage with these states of mind that are so transformative, so powerful, so healing. Yeah. Um, and there's often this line that's drawn between, Oh, there's the medical healing and then there's, there's, you know, the raver kids. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's frankly nonsense. I've seen so much tremendous healing happen from what we would historically sort of call recreational drug use, right? right? People go to festivals and they pop a pill and they eat some acid and they think they're going to have a fun little time. And, um, <laughs> you know, they end up in the, in the, whatever the tent happens to be called at that festival where they take people who are no longer having a fun little time. Yeah. Um, a lot of different names for Zendo. that tent, but it's either Zendo or Harmonia or there's, you know, there's a ton of nonprofits that are doing this work now. Uh, 
And because there's a person there they can talk to, because they're in this state, uh, they undergo these just incredibly transformative healing experiences mm. from what started off as looking like what might be the worst night of their life. Yeah. Right. Where if they ended up at the hospital, they would have just been pumped full of benzos and strapped yeah. to a table. Yeah. Right. Further traumatized, you know, also if phys- like financially indebted, right. You know, you leave it like further traumatized and 10 grand in debt to your local hospital. Yeah. yeah. Um, and instead they get taken to this tent and they, they undergo these really, I mean, I've seen it so, so many times, these really healing experiences, uh, is, is like, I, okay. I just said we should only work with peer review, but like, I've seen it. I've seen <laughs> that work so many times. Yeah, yeah. And someday somebody's going to do the study. Like they're going to do the meta study where they're going to reach out to all the people who've had these, you know, what used to be called bad trips, but like we don't even call them that anymore. Difficult experiences. Difficult experiences that turned into these really healing experiences. And Mm -hmm. someday somebody's going to do that meta study Mm -hmm. and we're going to have the data that shows what I already know. Right. um, Which is that on a long enough time scale, I don't really think there is such a thing as recreational psychedelic use. (laughs) Like it turns into something else for almost everybody. So I've been Um, really curious about that because, you know, like uh, I've had experience both you know, dancing at shows on LSD and then trips in a delicate, intimate setting. And, uh, I'm curious what, like, uh, I'm curious, like, what do you think? So if somebody, you know, has the freak out and they have this transformative experience, like in a Zendo tent, like would they better been better off possibly just, doing it intentionally from the start in like a delicate environment. And I'm just curious because I'm having a hard time with it. Like what yeah. is, like what is the value of frequenting drug parties? Like wh- where's the value in that? And what are the pitfalls to be aware of? Yeah. I mean, I think the value first and foremost is that it's fun. Yeah. Um, and I think that's mm-hmm. why people do it generally, mm-hmm. right. Is that it's an enjoyable experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's okay. I think that's an okay reason to use drugs. If you want to use drugs because you enjoy them, you should, that's, you should be okay with that. And yeah. you should be okay saying that, you, you know, mm-hmm. why did you do the, why did you do acid at this party? It's like, well, I wanted to, I wanted <laughs> to do blast. acid at a party. Yeah. Like, I wanted to fucking trip and look at the big video screens. And mm-hmm. you know, there's things at these parties that you can't build in your home. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, you can, but like, I can't, you know, yeah. it's like financially, you know, there's certain limitations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that led screen that, comes out to some some shows i'm not going to drop any artist names here but <laughs> probably know who i'm talking about yeah. like like you're not going to build that in your house like you know yeah. uh and so i think it's okay that people have these at these experiences but as a community we should certainly build the resources mm-hmm. um you know the the tremendous benefit and tremendous risk of psychedelics is that they're not predictable yeah you don't always know where they're going to go mm-hmm. right we i mean we talk about it that way tripping yeah right? you're going on a trip yeah. you know yeah. you're, you're going to get a little bit of everything you don't know there. where you're going to end up yeah like, there's no way that's that's why people enjoy it so much is that it's not this like replicatable reliable a b c d e linear thing mm-hmm. right um it's actually the collapse of that right the collapse of a linear narrative is like a big part of psychedelics at the high enough dose like yeah. the, the cause and effect thing starts to sort of yeah go away go both ways <laughs> right or, go both ways yeah. right or, or yeah or com- yeah backwards manifesting this idea that like i manifested <laughs> something but i would have had to manifest it six weeks ago for right. it to happen at this moment right? <laughs> right um and so yeah i think it's okay to for people to use these things that way. I think that's, I think that's a perfectly valid reason to use these things. Mm -hmm. Um, if you are intentionally looking for a, uh, healing, transformative, uh, psychologically difficult 
if you're looking for the work doing the work yeah uh yeah creating a space to do that work in for yourself Mm -hmm. is certainly a, a, a doable thing yeah right all of these manuals about how to do psychedelic psychotherapy are online none of them are that hard to read if That's cool. you know if you as a peer group your friends can sort of learn the best mm. protocol is to have psychotherapists doing it yeah because it's difficult yeah. and there should be psychotherapists involved uh but there's also integration therapists now if you go to the maps website they have something called the integration list mm. and it's full-time professional psychotherapists who will help you after these difficult psychedelic experiences Um, or difficult experiences in general, not necessarily psychedelic induced, but generally psychedelic induced. Um, But no, creating a safe container. If you want to do the work, I think is worth doing. Yeah. Um, If for no other reason than just being nice to the Zendo volunteers, I mean, they have a lot on their plate, you know, you know, uh, Oh, I don't want to out anybody, but so the code (laughs) at burning man for somebody having a difficult experience is, is a green dot. Green dot, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I definitely have a friend who has a black t-shirt with a giant green dot on the front. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he wears it on nights when he's going to go super hard so that if he ends up in the Zendo, they know that like, this was uh, a decision he made, <laughs> right? Like this was a choice that yeah, this yeah. person oh willfully, <laughs> like they made a t-shirt, right? It wasn't like, this was like a spur of the moment choice. They ordered like, the t-shirt on the internet, on, had yeah. it shipped to their home, brought it to Burning Man, got it out of their tub, put it on and then ate the drugs <laughs> this was a choice right um but you know if you if you want to do the work i think learning to do the work is worth doing mm-hmm. um we're also moving in a direction as a society where a lot of that is available legally if you have the financial resources to do it mm-hmm. um ketamine therapy is is legal yeah. everywhere in this country mm-hmm. um there nice. are no states where ketamine therapy is illegal it's harder to access in some places yeah you know colorado we have billboards <laughs> it's yeah, a little yeah. it's a little different in colorado um <laughs> it's expensive as fuck it's you know some of them are really expensive there's a few that are less expensive okay. um there's groups in california that are actually setting up as b corps Right. Mm-hmm. So B Corp is like somewhere between a traditional corporation and a nonprofit. Okay. So uh, nice. a corporation is legally required to maximize profit. You can actually mm-hmm. be fired from the board of directors of a, of a corporation uh. if you don't work in the interests of maximizing profits. Yeah. So B Corp is a way of building a corporation that has, it's a benefit corporation. So there's a purpose other than profit written into the document so that you can legally do that. Man. Okay. Cause you can literally be fired. That's great. Right. Great model. Right. So <laughs> yeah, B Corp. Yeah. we're trying to make money. We we're also trying to make something else. And we have legally given ourselves the space right. to do that. And so they're setting mm-hmm. up a B Corp to do uh, sort of back end funded ketamine therapy cool. so basically the you build the shit out of insurance companies and then you discount people who don't have insurance like that's nice. basically how you do that awesome um and so uh like maps has a b corp as well when mdma therapy becomes legal the mdma mm-hmm. therapy will be overseen by the b corp and the purpose of the b corp will be to funnel money back into additional psychedelic research oh, right so okay. we'll be building insurance companies for mdma psychotherapy and using that money to do nice. psilocybin research and lsd research and ibogaine research and nice right um cool but yeah it the reality of American healthcare is that if you don't have financial resources, these things are harder to access Mm -hmm. and people who don't have financial resources are often more traumatized than people who do for the obvious and inevitable reasons. Uh, And so it's perfectly possible to learn how to do these things within your social circle, within your peer group. Um, The best, if you have the option to do it with a trained therapist, that's obviously your, your best bet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, I genuinely believe that Um, I'm, I'm, in college, I did like one 
uh, psychology class and I was like, this is fucking voodoo. Like this is nonsense. Um, I've actually modulated my beliefs on that. The more therapists I hang out with, the more I realize, like, Oh, like a lot of you actually are like much more state, like the, particularly the ones who undergo therapy themselves regularly. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, Oh, like you're actually a much more functional human being than most of the human <laughs> yeah. beings I know. Like this is clearly bringing you tangible. I can see it benefits. Yeah. Um, and then I see friends go through, you know, intensive therapy and I see it work and I'm like, Oh, this is the thing that actually works quite well, apparently. And yeah. so I've, 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 I've moved away from a uh, 20 year old Mitchell thinking he knew more than Freud. Although <laughs> Freud was a fucking quack. Um, but uh, no, I think that if you can do it, particularly ketamine and cannabis somatic mm-hmm. therapy, um, there's a group here in Denver, innate path. Um, I know most of the innate path people very well. They're super awesome at what they do. I, I fully trust all of them. I would trust all of them with my own psychology, which is not something I, I treat lightly. Yeah. Right. Um, but no, it's 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 hard. It's expensive, and the reality is, I think most of the people who end up doing the work at festivals mm. were not intending to end up doing it. Yeah, that's not mm. the norm. The norm is not people being like, I really want to work on the fact that I've never thought about the fact that my dad used to beat the shit out of me when I was a kid and yeah. I love my dad. And so I right. have to like balance the fact that my dad used to beat the shit out of me with the fact that I love him. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Like, and most of us who grew up particularly in the eighties have some of that. Mm-hmm. Like it was just way more the norm for parents to just like hit their kids in yeah. the eighties. Yeah. Um, it's still sort of a norm, but it was really, really, really the norm back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that is a thing that most people in our age group have not really dealt with and like end up dealing with super high on acid at a festival. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, that wasn't the plan. That wasn't what they were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, LSD when it's laid on blotter paper is not always laid super consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you should not dry your, when you're laying acid that you shouldn't dry it hanging because like, the liquid sort of it. concentrates yeah. on one end. You got to dry it on a flat surface. Mm-hmm. Right. But you lose a little bit of the potency that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Lost potency to me is way preferable to inconsistent potency. Yeah. I think that's a clear, there's a clear winner here. Just on <laughs> corners, 500 micrograms. Right. Of it. Um, so there's actually a group in, uh, I want to say Spain that is getting ready to do this study where they're going to ask people to mail in uh, three hits of acid from different places on the sheet. And then they're going to cut each of those into eighths using like precision equipment and do quantitative analysis using a GCMS <laughs> on wow. each of those one-eighths of a hit to see if microdosers are getting consistent dosing through a sheet. Right. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect we are going to see wild, wild, wild differences. Oh, yeah. Because I just know personally, like, yeah, there were times... Personal right, experience. right, just eating off, of, <laughs> eating, eating off of a 10-strip. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. You get to that. There's like that. It's always the last one, right? It was always one on yeah, the either why? end from drawing the sheet. <laughs> yeah. It was never one in the middle that was weirdly right. strong. It was always <laughs> the one on the end that was weirdly strong. Um, but no, it's a thing that happens. And so people think they're taking a known dose. And this is another, you know, this is another prohibition created problem to loop it back to that. What we were talking about at the beginning. There's no regulation. Cause there's no regulation. There's no quality acid. control. There's yeah. no, you know, when you buy a beer at a store and you're drinking that beer, if there's a problem with that beer, there is a way for the government to 
take that beer. They know what store it was sold at. Mm-hmm. They know what day it was sold by. They know who sold it. Mm-hmm. They know what truck it came onto the store. They know right. who was driving that truck. They know who was working at the factory when it was bottled. They know where the wheat came from that was used <laughs> to brew it. They know where the water came from that was used for that. They know where the exactly. paint on the aluminum can came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So if there's a problem with this beer, we can figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Very, very specifically down to the guy <laughs> who screwed up at the paint plant. <laughs> yeah. Right. And did something that he wasn't supposed to. And then the guy at the canning factory who, you know, we can figure that out. And man, I dream for that day with LSD. Like right. I really want there to be freaking QR codes on every hit of acid, right? You can scan <laughs> with awesome. your phone yeah. and it's like this hit of acid was manufactured on this date at this facility, right? It was manufactured with this many micrograms per dose, mm-hmm. quality control done by this government agency. Uh, it was sold on this date at this store. You were the purchaser at the store. It was stored at this temperature, how it's been stored since you took it home. Exactly. Is, is what you yeah. know. And then, you know, mm-hmm. but like, until oh, we get good. there, it, you're just sort of trusting shots in the dark shots in the dark <laughs> or your homies. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> that, I, you hear it all the time, right? I trust my guy. And like, of course you trust your guy. You bought drugs from him, right? It's intrinsic right. to the nature of the, the game that right. you trust the person you got your schedule one drugs from. <laughs> uh, it is not about trusting your friend, you know, your guys, 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 guy, you know, four up the chain. No matter what drug it is, no matter how close you are with your friend, four up the chain, there's a very high statistical probability that there's somebody you would not hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm not talking trash about those people. They do incredibly difficult, incredibly dangerous work. And if they didn't do that work, none of us would have the drugs. Mm -hmm. I'm very appreciative of them. But at a certain level, drug transportation requires a certain level of risk. Right. And that sort of intrinsically leads to certain types of people getting involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the game. You can't play the game if you're not willing to play it that way. Right. And so like, you know, with fentanyl adulteration in cocaine, we know it's not happening at the gram bag level. It's not somebody selling grams where this is happening right. because we see waves of death that will move from Philadelphia to New York, mm. right? Dozens of deaths over a five week period, you know, moving between two cities this is a distribution network problem. This is happening way up the chain. Uh, why it's happening, I don't know, and I don't even really care because I don't yeah. think it's fixable. Right. Uh, it's happening, and like we just have to either... I mean, there is no either. We have to legalize these drugs. Yeah. The drugs are being made too dangerous. Right. You know, the argument I always get, particularly from people who love psychedelics, is like, okay, yeah, let's legalize. Certainly ayahuasca, right? It's a plant. It's used in nature. It's been, it's 2,000 years old. Like, yeah. let's, you know, mushrooms, LSD, even MDMA, they can wrap their heads around. Like, let's legalize all those drugs. And then they say, but isn't heroin too dangerous to legalize? We can't legalize heroin. It's too dangerous. It'd be way less it's dangerous. too dangerous not to legalize. Yeah, right. That's exactly, my argument. Yeah. Is that we should actually be focusing on the more dangerous drugs first. Uh-huh. Right? We shouldn't be working on legalizing psilocybin. Look, I've had tremendously beneficial experiences from psilocybin. I, it's been used for thousands of years religiously. We have carvings of mushrooms that predate human <laughs> writing. We were drawing mushrooms on cave walls before we figured out how to write down the word the. Okay? <laughs> like, clearly, mushrooms are incredibly intrinsically safe which means we can leave them in the black market for a little while without people dying. Right. Right. People aren't dying from black market mushrooms as a, <laughs> as a general rule. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, if you have really bad black mold on a mushroom cake, it's possible that you could create a concentrated enough level of, of toxins that you could hurt somebody. Right. The fact that it virtually never happens, I'm not actually aware of it ever resulting in a death. Right. 
says how safe those drugs are. Mm-hmm. Heroin is so, so intrinsically potentially dangerous yeah. that we have to legalize it first. Right. That's the one that we need, the control. That's the one that we need, the regulation. That's the one that we need. People who are physiologically dependent are not afraid to call 911 if right. their friend overdoses. They're not afraid to go to their doctor to try to get help because right. they're going to lose everything if they get caught with a milligram of heroin in their pocket we those are the drugs that we need to really be focusing our reform efforts on um and i think the way that we do that is by not focusing on any one drug i think the way we do this is that we talk about prohibition as a system mm-hmm. right the drug laws were not written super piecemeal the 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 drug control act was written as a single piece of legislation mm-hmm. they said all these drugs are illegal they pushed it out internationally any drugs that weren't caught up in that globally are really like up in the air that's why 5meo dmt is legal in mexico and canada right mm-hmm. is that it wasn't part of that original block of law mm-hmm. I do not want to play the game they play where they legalize drugs one by one backwards. I don't want to play that game. I want to end prohibition as a system of government control. I want to legalize all drugs across the board. We can talk about regulatory models. We can talk about distribution models. For sure, we should not put heroin over the counter in the hands of for-profit corporations. Yeah. That is a terrible idea. We right. should not do that. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Oxycontin's already a thing. Right, but, but, <laughs> but imagine, 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 imagine the slacklers being allowed to sell over the counter. Yeah, yeah. Right, like let's not... <laughs> let them do that. Right. Um, but uh, the, there's two main reasons that I think we should be focusing on prohibition as a system, as, mm-hmm. as the regulation model. Uh, the first is that it's really hard to get people to wrap their heads around legalizing heroin. Um, and heroin is the one that we really need to focus on. It's killing mm-hmm. just too many people. Right. Uh, and so we need to go the Swiss model or the Portuguese model. We need to take all this money we're spending on the drug war and focus it on, on treatment. Um, in Switzerland, they actually give pharmaceutical heroin to people who are right. dependent on it, and people just don't die yeah. when they're getting pharmaceutical-grade opiates and using them at their doctor's office. That's not a lethal right. risk. They're mm-hmm. not allowed to leave the office, though? Uh, you know, I think they are, actually. They are? But I think okay. most of them choose to just to, just to do it there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I'm, I'm not 100% sure on the Swiss model in particular, but I mm-hmm. think they are allowed to just take their heroin home. If that's what they yeah. want to do with it, there's a good level of trust there, I guess. Sure, because yeah. there's there's virtually no black market in Switzerland because right. anyone who needs it can go to their doctor. Mm, true. Mm. Right. So, like, what's the motivation to to divert. try and sell it? Or, right. Yeah. Right. So there's no there's nobody to buy. Right. Because um, if somebody needs it, they go and get it for free from their doctor, and totally. so like there's nobody there's no there's no client base there. Gotcha. Um. So that's the first reason is that we really need to focus on those drugs first. Um, and that's hard to get people to wrap their heads around, but understanding the dangers of the system I think is easier. Right. Um, and the other is that there's a lot of people out there who might like some random drug that you're never going to build a coalition around. Right. right. Somebody out there in America, their favorite <laughs> drug in the world is two CT seven, you know, like that person exists. I don't know him, but somebody out there is really into CT seven. I actually, that was my least favorite of the two C's. I, I thought it was a, 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 not a particularly enjoyable experience. Um, two CB and two CI. I both, I had sort of stretches of time where I was really actively engaged with two CI in particular, I thought was a super was, interesting one. I mean, it's incredibly visually interesting, but you visual. feel very sober. Yeah. So you get to like sort of have the experience of like the, what everyone thinks acid does where it's like, Oh, the, the patterns are everywhere. Uh-huh. It's like, no, most of what acid does is actually sort of about your consciousness, your, not yeah, about your vision. Two yeah. uh, CI is really quite visual. You, you feel pretty okay. Um, mm. but your vision's just like, like a, th- a different thing. I mean, you really learn not to trust your eyes on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, if there are that person who's out there, that person who really loves two C, we could build a coalition around two CB and two CI. There's enough people who <laughs> yeah, like two CB and two CI that we could build, <laughs> we could build the legalized two CI coalition. Um, two CT seven, 
Nope. Right. Someone out there loves N-ethylpentalone. Mm. I hate that it gets sold as MDMA, but if somebody out there really likes that substance, I don't want to leave those people out in the cold. Yeah. I don't want to leave those people who just happen to be into the drugs that didn't have a wide enough uh, user base. Right. Exactly. That we're never going to build a political coalition to help those people. Mm-hmm. Those people should not be risking arrests. Those people should not be dealing with adulteration black markets. Those people should not be dealing with all of the sort of shit show that comes with prohibition. And so we should just get everyone together. Should be a big tent. Yeah. Uh, it's tough. There's a lot of drug stigma that goes on within the drug using community. Um, you know, I, I will never sort of cease to be amazed by the fact that people can talk so much trash about you know drug x y or z when they're over here like snorting a b or c off of the back of a toilet yeah like i just can never wrap my head around that like guys (laughs) we are all substance users we're all drug users right right even if you're just drinking coffee and taking aspirin even if you're just drinking alcohol even if you just smoke pot like yeah your pot is natural so cyanide Mm -hmm. right the fact that you just smoke a natural product does not make you intrinsically better than somebody who uses like Mm -hmm. uh, synthetic substances Uh, and so we need to build a big coalition. We need to end prohibition as a system. Uh, and I really think that the key sort of message of dance safe is that harm reduction isn't just the stuff you do to like make substance use safer. Mm-hmm. Harm reduction is the other model to prohibition for how as a community we can deal with substance use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So yep. th- what we're trying to build is a new model for dealing with drugs because the reality is people use drugs. Yep. Um, and the end argument for me, people, people who come to me, cops who come to me particular at festivals <laughs> who say, Oh, these festival promoters should just work harder on keeping drugs out of their festivals. That's going to be ask a them how many festival. opiate overdoses they had at their prison last year. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. Right? Like how many yeah. people OD'd at your prison? Yeah. Uh-huh. And like, we're not allowed to stick our fingers inside people when they come into our festivals. Right. <laughs> right. Like those people have no civil rights. Right. Yeah. They live inside boxes. And yet somehow, and yet somehow. <laughs> right. And if you can't stop drug use at maximum security prisons, right. The idea yeah. that you're going to stop them in a free society where civil rights exist is nonsensical. Yeah. Um, Silly. And so that's where I'm at. Uh, that seems like a good wrap up point. I feel yeah. like that's awesome. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Sure, man. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, be safe out there. guys. Yeah. yeah. Just be safe. And, and um, thank you for oh, the work you're doing. Yeah. Man. Oh yeah. Super appreciate, really appreciate that. Before it. I go though, yeah. uh, the very first question you asked me, I never answered. So you asked what dance yeah. safe was up to. Yeah. 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 yeah so here's what dance safe <laughs> is up to. Uh, Full circle. Nice. We, when, when is this going to air? Uh, Monday. Monday. Oh, beautiful. So, uh, yeah, we are finishing up our fundraising to purchase two FTIR machines. So currently we use reagent testing, which is basically the same technology as roadside IDs, mm-hmm. right? So it's like the same roadside tests that law enforcement will use to arrest people. Uh, it is certainly better than not testing your substances, but they would never go to court with that because there's too much sort of margin for uh, potential error within that model. Okay. Uh, and our language around testing reflects that, right? We never say, Oh, this is pure. We never say this is good. Yeah. Uh, so we are now purchasing two very sophisticated equipments. It's actually the same technology they use in most state crime labs. Uh, it's a four year wow. transformer infrared spectroscopy. It fires a series of infrared laser beams through the drug. Uh, every molecule in the universe absorbs light at a slightly different IR spectra. And by analyzing that spectra using something called the four year transformation, it can figure out what that molecule is with an incredibly high degree of specificity. Um, and so we are going to have two of these. Uh, wow. We're going to be taking them to festivals. Um, we are also Damn. in negotiation with multiple state uh, health departments about doing drop-in drug checking days at various community health clinics throughout oh, the country. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, so we'd really like to do this in like high density areas. So I'd love to do it. New York City would be a super high priority. Denver's mm. on the on the list. 
Um, so hopefully we can start doing these public drop-in drug checking days where we will have legal permission from state governments. Mm-hmm. Um, Philadelphia just won their final federal lawsuit with the government to allow a safe injection facility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I believe that that ruling will allow uh, on-site testing in the way nice. that I'm describing. If you're allowed to set up, a, if the government can say, come do your drugs here, mm-hmm. it seems unlikely they would not be able to set up a place to say, come test your drugs. Yeah. Here. Make sure. Right? Okay. That, that seems, yeah. that seems very unlikely. So I think we're going to be able to do this. I really, really do. That's nice. great. Um, we also have a fundraiser coming up in Denver, uh, April 18th. Uh, Ken Jordan is flying up from Costa Rica to reunite the crystal method as a dance, a fundraiser. Dang. So it's the full crystal method playing in Denver. What? Tickets Sick. are going to be super uh. affordable. There's going to be a donation option on top. I highly recommend if you can afford a higher price ticket to buy the ticket and do the donation. It's going to be right on the same page. Yeah. The technological backend of which has been the bane of my existence. For the last <laughs> couple of days. Um, we're almost there. I think we're, we're at the point where we're going to be able to sell these base price plus donation tickets. Um, Sounds awesome, man. Yeah. So our goal is that the, the just sort of general sale, if you've never been involved with dance safe, if you're not, is going to be like 25 or $35, probably 35, depending on sound rental costs, Mm -hmm. but it's 35 bucks for a crystal method show, uh, with some other artists who are playing, uh, that we can't announce yet. So we have other big headliners. They don't want to burn a Denver play on a fundraiser. So some of them might not be announced at all. Mm, There might be just like show up and people you want to see play are playing. Oh shit. Um, And we're also going to be, uh, uh, Microdose is going to be there. So the Android Jones Android. VR thing, but nice. Android Andrew is actually going to be in California. Okay. Uh, but Ned Droid is going to be running Microdose nice. at the festival. Uh, Jonathan Singer uh, is going to be doing video projection. He's the projectionist for the Grateful Dead and oh, yeah. projects mm-hmm. for a lot of other people. Probably one of the best in the game, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, Singer is going to be there projecting. Uh, we're also going to be releasing a bunch of signed blotter art at the show, uh, including the first one ever signed by Alex and Allison Gray together. So we have a joint signed piece. It was both of their art. Sacred writing being is the piece mm-hmm. uh, printed on blotter. It's at my house. It's done. It's signed. <laughs> oh, uh, shit. And if you want to buy, if you want to make sure you're going to be able to buy it, come to fundraising. You get it. Yeah. Cause it might sell out and I suspect it will sell out. Make sure you get a full bank account. Uh, a couple pin drops. We're working on a couple pin drops. we got a lot going on that night. Oh yeah. Uh, outdoor, great, we, and it's going to be indoor and outdoor uh, at Exdo. I don't know if you guys have been to Exdo here in Denver. Mm-hmm. It's where the Denver decompression party is for Burning Man. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, massive burner art outside, uh, including some big art cars are going to be parked in the outdoor area with a silent disco outside two rooms of music inside, uh, 3,000 person ticket cap. It's going to be a big party. It's the the Denver dance safe or the not Denver. Sorry. It's the dance safe fundraiser. Okay. Right. Instead of fundraiser, it's a fundraiser. (laughs) Uh, and the event is on our Facebook page. So if you go to the, uh, dance safe Facebook page, look at events, it'll be right there. Mm. Tickets are not on sale yet because of this. (laughs) No ticket company had an off the shelf solution where you could just do donations on top of ticket prices. (laughs) Uh, but we got it. Uh, secret party is the ticketing company. We finally found burner owned burner run ticketing company was willing to do the, the work for us. And so it's done. So tickets will be on sale. Hopefully, uh, not the week this airs, but the following week, I suspect. Great. Uh, And so that's really going to be the big one. And, uh, that money is going to be going towards outreach. Uh, that is money that we're going to be using for, uh, we were building a harm reduction art car for Burning Man this year called the Junk of the Damned in conjunction with some other folks. Cool. Nice. Um, so it's going to be a giant sheet metal pirate ship that's going to be delivering water to Sunrise Sound Camps. <laughs> that's what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, uh, With some Android Jones uh, art 
engraved in metal onto the thing. Laser, we got a, laser cut. Oh, uh, six foot by eight foot plasma CNC. Damn, yeah, dude. big old plasma CNC at Gamma Space. They're going to oh, be cutting nice. some big Android Jones art for us onto the pirate ship. Nice, so uh, cool. And so this party is the way we're going to be able to do that. So if you want to see a giant harm reduction pirate ship cruising around Burning Man, <laughs> uh, toss a little money on top of that ticket price. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so that's what we're going to be up to. Cool. Sounds like a great event. Sorry yeah. for taking an hour and a half to answer your question. No, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's April 18th, you said? April 18th. So at all midnight, right. it'll be bicycle day. Cool. Yeah. And then what's all just the best ways for people to find Dance Safe and Yeah, dancesafe.org. Uh, the, the testing kits are on there. We ship them to all 50 States. Nice. Uh, fentanyl test strips are on there. We ship those as well. Okay. Um, they actually ship from different places. So if you order them together, they'll come in two packages, but, uh, <laughs> uh, all of our drug info cards are on there. You can actually buy the drug info cards in packs of a hundred. Okay. Uh, if you, if you're throwing a party that maybe Dansafe isn't able to service mm-hmm. or you feel like you you're uncomfortable having Dansafe there, which is certainly a thing we run into. And I understand yeah. uh, if you want to just have our information, you can certainly get it off our website. Okay. Uh, we have college students who buy them all the time to give out on their campuses. Uh, the occasional high school guidance counselor nice. places orders <laughs> like for the Dansafe cards. In the back pocket. You know, kind of I don't know what they're doing with these cards. I feel, I have a hard time imagining like a Dansafe card set up in a high school guidance counselor's office. Yeah. <laughs> I really do, but I guess it's not impossible. I don't, I don't really know. know. I've never followed up with anything. Maybe they just slip, slip yeah, them to the kids. I don't necessarily yeah. want to know. Like, yeah, whatever those guidance counselors are doing, they're doing. We sell a lot of uh, fentanyl strips to uh, county health departments, fire departments, and um, military as well. Yeah, okay. oh, really? Like ships, wow. military bases. And I don't follow up with these po- folks. And we, we actually nuke our sales records on a rolling basis so that we don't even know who's ordering mm, after. Oh, so, you. You know, we keep smart. them long enough to be able to deal with returns taxes, and deal with problems yeah. and deal okay. with taxes. But uh, no, we don't, we don't store our sales records nice um as a way of sort of providing additional uh protection to people who are purchasing these things Um, i honestly don't think it's that big of a risk the government can't even arrest everyone wholesaling cocaine in this country they're certainly not concerned about people (laughs) buying test kits um you know uh yeah so but we do we do do that so yeah dancesafe.org uh on facebook it's forward slash like dot dancesafe okay um that's a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> if, but if you just search Dansafe on Facebook and also forward slash Dansafe on all the other, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. Great. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm 38. I don't do the Insta thing, but like, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta meet the community where they're, yeah, where they're at. That's where it's totally. popping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Yeah, man. yeah. It was great talking to you guys. Yeah. I really appreciate you sitting here. Lighting conversation. Yeah. yeah. It was really fun. Uh, and yeah, I really, uh, we should we should all chat about ways to get involved with the fundraiser because we're gonna have a lot of a lot of live painters as well. So yeah. We'll to... Hell yeah. Sounds cool. yeah. great. All awesome. right. Well, cool. Bye everyone. Thanks Peace, guys. Peace y'all. Thanks for listening. We love you. We love you. Thanks for listening to another episode of RCAF Podcast. For additional images and notes on this episode, you can check out our website, rcafpodcast.com. And you can find me, Andrew Norris, at andrew.norris.arts on Instagram. And andrewnorrisarts.com is my website. I also have links on my website to episodes as well as all my best paintings. And you can find me, John Speaker. My website is johnspeaker.com. On Instagram, I'm at John Speaker. And on Facebook, John Speaker Art. And we want to give a special thanks to Blair Speaker, John's lovely wife and creative director of the podcast. She also updates the website and does all the podcast notes. So thank you, Blair. And we'd also like to thank Tyler Billman. He created the music for this podcast. You can find Tyler on SoundCloud and Instagram. His name is Get Billsman. That's G E T 
B-I-L-L-S-M-A-N. Thanks again for listening. Peace. Thank you. (laughs) 